Welcome to the Brian Oak Show, uh, happening in the Smart Start MN studio here at the Brian Oak World Headquarters in South Minneapolis. And that right there was the music of McCluskey, likely their best-known song here in the States, but by no means the only song that band ever wrote that absolutely kicked me in the teeth. In fact, we're going to hear another one very shortly, and one that almost got me kicked in the teeth if tonight's <laughs> guest wasn't such a good person. I am Brian Oak. Well, Welcome to episode 51. That is Sean Bernard, my business partner, producer, a friend, and sponsor of the show. How are you, Sean? I am dandy. Well, wow. Again, <laughs> people keep saying things like that. This is a global it's pandemic. It's total bullshit. We are, we are also try- I know you moved yesterday. I you're, did. You're stuck with your family. You're not dandy at all. No, but we moved into a bigger place, so we have space, and we don't have to see each other as often. My son, who's oh. almost 17 and brutally honest, is like, Wow. We can be further away from each other now. <laughs> well, you know, and you, I, I think that, that that's always part of yeah. the, in the back of a 17-year-old's brain. But um, now more than ever. Now more than ever. <laughs> Before we introduce uh, today's guest, uh, who I am so excited to talk to and I've been a fan of for, oh my God, coming up on 20 years, uh, I want to say goodbye to a neighbor of ours. The Smart Start MN studio is here in South Minneapolis on Chicago and 48th, a neighborhood that's never been more vibrant. Great coffee shops. Oh, yeah. Expensive liquor store, uh, <laughs> turtle bread, all these cool. The Parkway Theater is two yes. doors down from yes. where we are. We just lost uh, uh, our next door neighbor permanently. El, El Burrito. I can't believe it. They're shutting down for good. They're gone for good. And, you know, that's why I made a, a video earlier today and shared it on social media and impassioned please to support the mom and pop shops you know the publicly traded national companies are going to be okay they're going to at least survive this for sure even no matter what it looks like on the other side of this but these mom and pop places these things that make a community feel like a community you know as i said in the video i was a bigger fan of pepitos than el burrito but i bet the people there worked their asses off too and they worked really hard and now those people are not going to be there and they're probably going to put a fucking applebee's in next door oh god i hope not I hope not. Although they do have a nice blooming onion. Uh, it is the Brian Oak Show, and what I want to do is introduce our guest today. So growing up for me, music changed me in a lot of ways. And there was music I just loved to tap my foot to, and I loved melodies and things like that. But then there was music that scared me, uh, music that actually made me kind of wake up from my cul-de-sac suburban lifestyle. Uh, Dead Kennedys was probably the very first band. Husker Du was also on that list. Gang of Four was on that list. These were the bands that helped... And here's what I liked about them. They weren't just screaming anthems. They also wrote some really powerful, angular, excellent songs. And I feel like today's guest is it belongs in that same conversation because whether it was with the band he helped found McCluskey, whether it was with the follow-up band Future of the Left, and to this day with Christian Fitness, I am a gigantic mega fan. And I'm going to try not to fawn too much <laughs> about today's guest, Andy Falcus. Andy, how are you, man? I'm okay. A little, a little bit of fawning is fine. I spend, I spend all of my time with a with a two year old, so um, I don't get I don't get much fawning there. So I, I used to you know, say I, I get the occasional "I love you," which I see is payment due. But uh, <laughs> apart from that, no, I'm you know I'm the I'm the lowest of the low in this house. So well, well, it's nice that there is a part of the you know a part of existence where fawning is an acceptable description. Okay, well, I'm I'm, I'm going to try I'm going to try not to fawn too much, but there is definitely going to be some fawning. Now, you have made some amazing music. First of all, where are you right now? I'm at home in London where I've lived for the last two and a half years. All right, very good. Um, because, you know, I always, when when I first found out about McCluskey, it was always described as a Welsh band. How did, yeah. you, how did you find yourself in Wales? I went to, I'm from Newcastle in the northeast of England, and I went to Cardiff, Wales, to, uh, to do a, my degree, my journalism degree. Um, and I ended up staying there because, because of a band, which you have already mm. mentioned, um, and I, I made my fortune in inverted commas. The word fortune there, <laughs> and I stayed there for twenty four years until my wife Julia, who is the bass player in Future the Left, got mm-hmm. a job in London, which was sufficiently well paid enough to, in order for us to brave this hellhole. You're- <laughs> Now, I'm to understand that, that London is one of the great metropolitan destinations on planet Earth. What do you mean hellhole? 
Well, you know, there were some key words in that sentence. You were led to understand. <laughs> um, it's, it's not. You know what? London is a is a fantastic place in the sense that London has no real surprises. If, if you've visited here, then you can probably work out exactly what it's like to live here, the positives and the negatives. All the positives are exactly as you'd imagine, really cosmopolitan, really vibrant. Anything you want is is available, apart from the words, excuse me, um, <laughs> or, 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 or sorry. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's so funny, an American's idea of... Um, uh, rather, a non-travelling American's idea of British politeness and reserve is only ever really challenged when they visit Britain, I find. Um, <laughs> uh, British travellers like to play up to the, the stereotype of, oh, I'm awfully sorry, but the the reality in London is, because I'm from the north of England and we, we're very, we're not slow in coming forward, is the, is, is, you know, is the saying. We're very, you know, very... Old people will just greet you in the street if you've never as much as crossed the path before. But in London, if you if you try and start a conversation with somebody in a convenience store, then they'll probably call the police. <laughs> um, but, but but London's but you know London London is great. I, I quite like it. It just as as somebody who spends all of my time looking after a toddler and lives on musician money, London isn't really in my budget. Yeah, I understand. No, I understand. Like most major cities, like that, it's yeah. it's expensive. And but looking after a toddler does have its its. I mean, well, and especially now. So like lockdown, quarantine, for a city as large as London and as big as it is, you know, New York has been surprisingly good. You know, and major cities throughout Europe is London doing a good job actually staying at home, or are people still out there French kissing in the parks? Well, you see, the issue is, isn't it that you don't tend to notice the people who are socially distancing effectively. You notice the, the you know, you notice the assholes who aren't. Um, <laughs> it's getting, it, it got better until about a week ago. I'd say there'd been two weeks of pretty, pretty constant, efficient distancing. But I mean, even yesterday I saw, I saw eight guys in the park doing some kind of MM, MMA routine, <laughs> uh, all, all grouped together, you know, like that, that, like they're too tough to be overcome by a mere virus, oh. um, but but certainly in the early days of of this surreal of, of this surreal episode, uh, which is even less subtle than a, a Limp Bizkit or Taproot album, um, <laughs> we were I mean like walking Ella, uh, which is the name of of our daughter, along the streets uh, on at least twenty five or thirty occasions. I had to step off the pavement in order to, you know, create a reasonable distance between us and, and other people. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say I've only nearly got in three fights as a result of, of, of the lockdown. There's one guy who, around here who wears a Misfits T-shirt, <laughs> and, when this, and when this is all over, he's getting it. <laughs> and, and I don't mean, and I don't mean, the second day. I mean, <laughs> I mean something else. I'm not a. I'm not. A, and as well, I'm not a. I'm not a punchy guy. Yeah, you know, I. I spend my whole life removing myself from situations in which violence could be you know, could happen. But uh, this guy. This guy's. This guy's losing at least. <laughs> at least one tooth. <laughs> so it's it's so fantastic that you say that because one of the things I want to get out of the way early in this podcast is my official apology to you on the one time <laughs> I've seen you face to face and um I'm so glad you're not a punchy guy because we were in a dingy little shithole. I was literally in front of you less than two feet away screaming and requesting a song and you would have been well within your rights to knock my face in with your guitar and you chose not to. And I'm not going to tell everybody what you said afterwards, but it could not have been more polite, more kind, more decent, and also a very, very deep learning moment for me. So I would like to hear the song. Tell the story briefly, and we'll come back and talk more about you and your music just ahead. Oh, oh my! It, it was it was such a learning moment. So this this song mattered so much to me at the point that I saw this, and I also was low did. Oh my God! What do you say over in England in the cups? Is that what you say? We don't say in the cups, but oh. I and I we we would say we would say pissed. 
Yes. Uh, growing up in Newcastle, we would say you were mortal. Okay, well, um, I, I mean, we are all mortal. Yeah, I, assume, I, I but, was, I was actually but, immortal but at this that's moment. The yeah, no, that's I was the levitating off the floor. I was so loaded, <laughs> and I wanted to hear this song so bad. I screamed it between every single song you played, and I'm so surprised yeah. you didn't smash me in the face. But I remain eternally grateful because I think about that every time I start to get loaded at a show, or used to go to shows and get loaded. Um, anyway, let's hear the song. We'll come back. We'll talk more to Andy Falcus just ahead. Hopefully you listen to that at top volume, and if not, go back, rewind it, or find it online, or better yet, since he's a musician who's caring for a toddler living on a musician's salary, buy it and pay for it. But not only is that song got some of my favorite buzzsaw guitars of all time, it's literate and it's intelligent, and it is, it's got the same kind of biting satire and honesty that almost everything that this guy's ever written has done. It also comes from an album that has one of the greatest album titles of all time. The difference between me and you is that I'm not on fire. <laughs> uh, it, Andy Falcus is our guest right now, and he is in London as we speak. Uh, Andy, before we get back to talking to you about that, well, actually, you know what? I got to make my apology first. I just want to say I'm sorry to you because I... <laughs> You were playing in the 7th Street entry, which I know we talked about this on Twitter. Well, tweeted about it on Twitter once a long time ago. And you're like, oh, I remember that shitty bathroom. Um, and, <laughs> you know, they've, they've upgraded a little, but it's still a place that looks like you're going to find a dead body every other night. And it's, um, yeah. you, you remember the entry, but I mean, it's this tiny, grimy, amazing little venue that I've seen so many good shows in. But I, I was drunk and I walked, waddled right up, up to the front of the stage and elbowed people out of the way. And literally between every single song your band played, I screamed, "Kitchens!" <laughs> and finally, about five times in, you looked me right in the eye and held your finger up and said, look, we're going to get to it. We're all gentlemen here, right? And I shrunk to the size <laughs> of a, I don't know, Tomagotchi or something. Like I got very little and I backed up and I got quiet. And I'll never, I w- even though I was annihilated, I'll never forget it because it was an important lesson. Just because I'm a drunk, idiot American does not give me the privilege to make the band dance like marionettes or clowns. I, 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 oh, I'll never, I'll never forget it. So I, I remain in your debt because your guitar was right there. And again, nobody would have minded if you would just fucking hit me over the head with it. But like you said, you're not a punchy guy. So I am right now, without qualification, offering you a sincere apology for being such a jackass that night. You know, a, li- a little encouragement is fine and let's face it if you were yelling it in between five songs 
That's probably only 15 minutes. I was about to say quarter of an hour, but I've managed, <laughs> I've, I've managed to stop entire conversations with Americans on the basis of saying quarter of an hour or fortnight before. So while we, you know, pluck through the differences between American and <laughs> American and English, English. Um, but you know what? You're, you're all right. There's people have, you know, people have done a lot more performed a lot more egregious acts at shows than than that and um the seventh street entry is one of the shows i uh did after i uh, thought i had uh, swine flu on one particular tour talking about global pandemics that we that we can all get excited and um sexy mm. about uh that was another show and another show i did a seventh street entry i'd had food poisoning in denver i mean it's bad enough being in denver but <laughs> getting food poisoning doesn't make make anything uh, make anything more rosy so i spent the entire entire pre and post show throwing up so i have a lot of very fond memories of, <laughs> of of that venue they actually traced the swine flu and it started in the seventh street entry bathroom that's where it actually started. Uh, you know what? I think I think swine flu swine flu probably had standards. So <laughs> I don't see it. I don't see it. Uh, I don't see it lingering too long. Touché. I'm Touché. just glad that I played Seventh Street Entry in my early thirties because now I'm in my forties. My bladder wouldn't have allowed <laughs> no. me to exist exist in a in a venue with only one toilet between two hundred and fifty people. I mean that is. I don't know what Americans are being trained for <laughs> uh, without, without, without bladder control, but that is not that is not acceptable for a British man in his well. well and I feel sorry for musicians because I, um, you know, I I've seen some brilliant shows in there, probably hundreds actually, in all the time I've been here. But that green room in the basement, as green rooms go, is more of a gray room. Like, it's it's not a good yeah. place. Hey, Andy, before we go on, I got to hit a sponsor real quick. Smart Start MM is the primary sponsor, the studio sponsor of The Brian Oak Show. And what do they do? They install ignition interlock in your car. What is ignition interlock? Well, let's say you or someone like me, for instance, back in the day, had too much to drink, and the police pulled you over on the way home, and now you've had a DWI. Ugh. A, it's expensive. B, it is a complete pain in the ass. And C, you don't get to drive again for a while unless you talk to the good people at Smart Start MN. Yeah, just go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. They'll give you 20% off the ignition interlock uh, installation. It's basically a breathalyzer in your car that as long as you have it, and again, it's not the same as when you get pulled over. It's not a .08. You can't have had no. anything to drink. You need to be able to blow clean and don't have your kids do it. I saw a story not too long ago where someone was having his kid blow into it so he could start his car. Don't do that. that uh, be, there, there's a social fucking contract. I don't know why I have to say this. It has nothing to do with the ignition interlock, but I had a friend <laughs> who had the ankle bracelet. She had the ankle bracelet on, mm -hmm. and she decided that it would be a good idea to try to put some baloney in between her skin what? and the ankle bracelet that so that she could have drinks because she thought it would it would detect like it wouldn't detect the alcohol. Ankle, and, ankle bracelets don't detect alcohol, do they? Well, they just tell where you cer are. Certain ones oh, do. do. Yeah, okay. certain ones right. do. And and Jesus. so they called her. Up, they called her up and they said, "Are you dead?" <laughs> And she's, she's like, no. And but I tried to do a little trick. What's the end of this story? Is she on the president's uh, virus task force? <laughs> yes, yes, she is. Yes, she is. That's the end of the story. So I really want to talk, I, Andy, about, about much more about your music. But also I've got to ask you first, as someone who's living in England, and I know that you're also operating under a crazy, wild-haired leader as we speak. What's it like yeah. looking at America right now? Like, I know there was always a lot to mock about America. Having been here my entire life, I, I get that it's weird. Is Has it become almost, like, beyond dystopian, beyond surreal to to look at what America's turning into and how America's reacting? Well, the thing is, like, like a lot of the arguments over here, most of them are just totally in bad faith now, aren't they? Whereas mm -hmm. at least there was a pretense maybe in the early 2000s that there was it wasn't so much an ideological war as people were. I mean, I've always been I've, I've always been on the left to varying degrees at times. I find that whenever you ally yourself with a group of people, they end up getting on your tits eventually. But <laughs> but there's 
it's it's just all in it's just all in bad faith now. I mean, you know, for, for people to say talking in the last couple of years about Trump has now crossed a line. I mean, the man crosses a line by simply existing, doesn't yes. he? And everybody yes. knows everybody knows exactly what what he stands for. Um, and it's just a question of whether people are prepared to go because somebody who's a fundamentalist Christian, for example. Is, is really under no illusions that Donald Trump shares the same principles as they do, are they? Um, it's just uh, the idea is that he's going to help them get what they want, which is, well, in that case, an end to abortion. That's it. You get the impression that that Satan himself could emerge, could emerge from, you know, the center of uh, Yellowstone National Park uh, and... <laughs> And as long as he, as long as he claimed, as long as he said that he would, you know, ban abortion, evangelicals would vote for him. Well, that to me, that's the whole thing. Is you know, I I actually believe in the marketplace of ideas. I also lean very far left, but I believe that balance and acceptance and understanding and discussion and debate really help inform all of us and make us grow a little stronger and gain a little more appreciation. But watching how hard the the right. Even the moderate right has capitulated so hard. It, it to me, it only points to one thing, and that is the Supreme Court in the United States. And again, I don't want to make this all about politics, but obviously, you you know you have political leanings and societal leanings um, uh, when it comes to the expression of your art. To me, you know, they realize that if we have the Supreme Court for the next thirty years. We can, I mean, that's, it's more influential than whoever's the president, whoever is Absolutely. in control of either house. Absolutely. And, and, but you, can basically, you can basically gut, you can basically gut everything. Um, and this is the problem, isn't it, with having judges who are political appointees. I mean, that to me is, is you know, it's as crazy as having public officials that you vote for. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't, we vote for our politicians, but we don't vote for our public officials. We don't vote for our local judges. We don't vote for, uh, you know, a police commissioner. <laughs> They're appointed <laughs> from people who've spent their life working in the police. That's that, that might sound fucking crazy. It know? is. It, it does. Might, it does sound fucking crazy, but that's what it is. So let me then move to this before we hear another song of yours is, so you did McCluskey. I want to know before you went to university, before you were part of McCluskey and then moved on to Future of the Left, as I said early on, there's going to be a little fawning here. And I love not only that you are articulate, but you can also wrap that conversation that importance into a really good fucking song there aren't many art like i don't know if you know ted leo or not or are familiar with his music yeah but... I'm for, I, well we, we toured with them against oh, me and ted leo. Well, and... we actually played in we played in uh, what's the big venue next to seventh street and she called first, uh, avenue? first avenue first avenue yeah well, yeah so we I... played in there with against me and ted leo we toured with oh. ted he's a, oh, my ted's, a ted's a ted's a one of the most wonderful people I've ever met. Well, and so I'm so glad to hear you say that because I, 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 it's hard for me to not think of you two as literally as lame as the cliche may sound, peas in a pod, because you are both bright, you are both politically motivated, but you're also motivated by your basic humanity for things to be better. And you also both know how to write killer fucking songs. But before we get to another one of those killer songs, when in your youth and growing up, did you decide a that you were an angry young man and b that you wanted to write write good fucking songs? I was probably in terms of wanting to be a, a musician and in, in the commas probably about fifteen. Both my parents were uh, what, what we say primary school, so elementary school, I guess. Uh, teachers, they were both music teachers, and they. Uh, uh, my dad wrote like musicals for children and things, but I didn't really, I didn't really get into music until I was fourteen or fifteen. Because who the hell wants to do what what their parents do? I mean, that wasn't of any interest to me. I just wanted to, I just wanted to play sport until that age. Um, but I, I, I was blessed with relatively good hand eye coordination. But unfortunately, to use the technical term, when I was young, I was as fat as fuck. So <laughs> I had to. Uh, I mean, now I'm now I'm physically fit, but uh, back then I was just a, 
a chubby little kid running around the pitch. And I was very, very small as well. And there's only so much athletic prowess you can aspire to when your legs are, you know, your legs aren't even as big as the football. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we got, we, we got there with music in the end. And by the time I came to college, I knew it's what I wanted to do because having studied journalism, even for just a few, a few months, I, I knew I didn't want to get that. And also the other appeal with music is, Generally speaking with music, you don't have to get up early in the morning. And I can <laughs> honestly say that even at the age of 45, everybody told me I'd grow out of that. Oh, you'll grow out of staying up till the middle of the night and, and you know, lying in. But I can I can exclusively reveal that I haven't. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know, I did, uh, I've done, uh, so coming off 25 years of radio here in the Twin Cities, I um, about half that was doing morning radio and getting up at 4 a.m. and people would always be like, well, you, you must get oh, you, you must you must get used to it. I'm like, no, you don't ever get fucking used to it. It, it, it. Every single morning when the alarm goes off, either the house is on fire or there's a killer in the kitchen. Like they're just you don't ever 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 adapt. And um, I got to be honest, that is the only value of this quarantine for me is getting back to the old ways of staying up too late and sleeping in too late because there's not anything at stake right now. It's just it's just the way it's working. So you told me about how you got into music. At some point, though, it became important to you because, you know, writing a great song is fun and finding a killer riff and rocking out with your friends, that's fun. But there was never, there's never not been... And again, I don't want to. I don't want to paint you in such broad strokes, but there's never not been a message or a point to the music that you make. When when did that become important? When did you feel like none of this is right, or not none of it, but a lot of this isn't right? I have to say something about this. Do you remember when that happened or how it evolved? No, and it, 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 to be quite honest with you, it still really hasn't happened now. In the sense that there's no there's no manifesto or or anything there's just there's just the songs i think if you you know if you curate your own work responsibly and concentrate on the quality first and you're not too explicit with the message i mean let's face it most people who listen to what you'd say roughly speaking the kind of music music i or we make they 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 lean to the left anyway i mean that's 98 percent of the audience so it's very easy to preach. It's very easy to 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 use a, an often misused term. It's very easy to to virtue signal in that kind of environment. And I don't necessarily regard virtue signaling as as a bad thing. It's it can sometimes say to somebody, "I share similar views as you," you know. But there's nothing very there's nothing very challenging about that. When we toured in two thousand and five. Uh, during the uh, the U.S. election uh, or 2004, 2004, the U.S. election, when Bush got in for a, a second term, you know, we'd say some loose stuff about about Bush uh, on on stage. Um, and nobody, nobody disagreed with us, apart from one night in L.A., some a, a girl down the front said when I was coming off stage said, I disagree with what you said about George Bush. And the guy went, <laughs> shut up, bitch. <laughs> and that oh. was the, that was the level of, that was the level of debate. Who would have known that? Who would have imagined that 16 years later we'd be, we'd be remembering the, the halcyon days of the, the George W. Bush presidency when, uh, when accusations of institutional racism seemed, Seem serious then, but now in comparison, seem almost quaint, don't they? Very like, quaint. No, I, I couldn't agree more. No, they were mm. simpler times to be sure. So mm. you form McCluskey. You've got opinions. You've got attitudes. You also like to fucking rock, and you found a good band, and you toured, and you got some success. And how did McCluskey end well? I don't really know the story of how McCluskey ended. Did that end well? Did it end poorly, leading to the future of the left? It ended It ended relatively poorly. I mean, we were doing... We were doing okay, but I mean, people who look on that back on that with a little bit too much much nostalgia. The last U.S. tour we did, there was barely anybody there. I mean, you know, I would say an average of seventy or eighty people a show. I, I also realise that's relative. There are lots of bands out there who would kill 
to have an average of 80 people a show and i don't mean to i don't mean to to play that down genuinely because i've seen some great bands playing to 15 20 people but it it didn't end particularly well uh, john uh chapel who was the bass player he basically just lost lost interest in the in the whole thing but people don't tend to engage directly with how they feel do they it's it's the you know the classic relationship that you want to get out of so you you treat treat everybody else like shit until they break it off with you that's kind of how it worked it was it was sad now we did our we just did our biggest show in yulu in london so it was like eight nine hundred people and then uh and then our last ever show was supporting shellac in the scala in london but it ended it had to end though the last the last couple of years it's it's difficult especially when you're living on the breadline and i don't say that in the, in in a, in a seeking out sympathy or anything but if you're living on next to nothing doing something you love you better be enjoying it if you're not enjoying it then it it loses or you lose all of the motivation to do it i had to motivate somebody else to go on stage and 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 play and that that was after a year or so of doing that 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 became beyond me i just didn't care for this person anymore and it's no hard feelings to anybody but one of the great delights about splitting up with somebody in any sense is no longer spending time with them. <laughs> oh, my God. That has to be on a T-shirt or it has to be on one of those little plaques that you can buy at Patina's. Uh, that, was, that was one of the wisest things I've ever heard in my whole life. Um, wow. We are talking to Andy Malkus. Um, so before we talk more about the future of the left and your most recent project, Christian Fitness, I want to play this song by Future of the Left. Now, Future the Left put out great records. Um, Travels with Myself and Another remains one of my favorite records of the 21st century, but my very favorite is the most recent, The Peace and Truce and uh, Future the Left, because it's got this song called The Limits of Battleships on it, which I'm trying not to do the fawning thing, but you said it was okay to fawn a little bit, so I'm going to fawn a little bit. It, <laughs> it, 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 is, it is so intelligent and so smart that I'm worried that it's lost on some people. But you know what? Even if it's lost on some people, it's such a great song that I hope they just bob their heads. That's To me, that's your gift. That's one of the reasons that I'm so excited to talk to you today and to have you on the show. Um, this is a really, really good record. Before we hear this song, though, is is the future of the left done? No, it's it's not done, but it's it's trying to find a way to, to happen. Um, I mean, Jack, uh, who's a drummer, he was the drummer for the last McCluskey record as well. He's mm-hmm. got, he's got two young girls. Julia and I have have a girl. We live in a different city. Even just the act of rehearsing once takes a day and a half. Involves babysitters, hotels, uh, costs a ridiculous amount of money. And then of course there's the the pressure to write and for I can write Christian fitness stuff just at home on a laptop. Yeah. Future of the left is, is odd music. It, it, it has odd pulses. It has strange time signatures. You can't write that kind of stuff remotely. So we're trying to find, we're trying to find a way to, we're trying to find a way to do it. Um, we're just not entirely sure if that way exists at this stage, it, it could be done. But I, I hope to all everything that is holy that it's not. Well, I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, these are strange times, regardless, and also individual circumstances can be very demanding and change the nature of the world. Um, so, before we go into this particular song off the peace and truce of the future of the left, uh, will you tell us about this song? The limits of battleships. Um, no, 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 no. We're not well, going to go into that. Mean, We're going into miners' gruel. Are you going into Miner's Gruel? Yeah, yeah, we're going to yeah, go well, into your song. You're, you're well, the guest. You get to pick what we play. Well, I, I am on it. I can't really... <laughs> you see, what what happens is I write I write music, and then uh, when it comes to record the vocals, I go away and I have a beer, and I write down the pretty much the first things which occurred to me. Well, hang on, hang on. I got I got to um, interrupt you for a second because, you know, Bowie's much Ballyhood Berlin trilogy, right? Low Lodger and uh, Heroes. 
Uh, I was told that, and I read many books that said the same thing. He wrote all of the music first and then would come back weeks later to write the lyrics. Is that what you're telling me right now? Yeah. Wow. Just, just write the lyrics. Because um, the thing is, let's face it, you don't do, you don't necessarily do all of your work as a creative person during the time where you, you're doing your work. You think about things germinate, ideas come in, you talk with your friends, you meet a ridiculous character, you <laughs> you they wash over you, you think about it, even if you don't think, think about it, you, you process it subconsciously. So I find that when it comes to actually write lyrics, there's stuff which has been waiting there for me, even if I don't know it's been waiting there for me. So it just all it just all comes out. And what is great, and I don't think a lot of creative people like to put themselves in this position, is to for me certainly is to put myself under pressure. Like I was, I mean, I was a classic one of those classic cases in university. If I had a, an essay to write. I wouldn't write it three weeks before the deadline, would I? I'd do it. I'd stay up <laughs> until seven a.m. The, the, the morning before, and it works the same with me for lyrics. I perform the best if you give me a a time limit, if you give me the pressure, and then and then things seem to work out. If I have a month to write lyrics, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna nap and watch cricket on YouTube. That's my idea of a good time. You've disappeared there, I think. Music of Future of the Left. Why are we playing that? Well, because Andy Falcus of Future of the Left is our guest. He is a fantastic songwriter. Before we get back to him, we got to check in with a couple people. One is Buster's on 28th. Buster's on 28th is a local venue, literally three blocks from my house, who are sponsors of the Brian Oak Show. And 
they've maintained that sponsorship during this impossibly unusual time for all local business. You know, we just announced at the top of the show, the next door neighbor, uh, El Burrito, is closing permanently. What do you think they're going to put in there? Are they going to put in like a... I mean, if they put in like a fantasy gifts, I'd be cool with that. But if they if they put in like a fucking TGI Fridays, fuck oh, it. They, they won't do that in this neighborhood. Are you sure? No way. No way. What if they come in with a big fat check? Nope. Have you seen what happened to Uptown? I'm moving away. Well, no, no, don't do that. We're staying here. We have a really good deal here. I like this place a lot. My point is Buster's on 28th is open. They're vibrant. They have excellent food. They now are offering wine and beer curbside as well. Uh, Buster's on 28th.com. Is there a better way for people to get in touch? Just go to their website, but call them ahead. Uh, do curbside to go. I just sent a family member, an uncle of mine over there, and he said the uh, Cubana was just fantastic this is a family-owned shop yep. that's trying to survive this stupid stupid COVID-19 yep so you're probably sick and tired of your own cooking your spouse's cooking your kids cooking if they actually make an effort <laughs> uh my child hopefully Andy's child, kid isn't cooking but. My, my child couldn't make toast my child could yeah, not my, make my toast son's Mr. Mac and Cheese and about two other things. Worthless. Oh, actually, you know what my daughter can make mac and cheese because damn, she'll hammer down three packs. I, oh, don't <laughs> don't don't forget to remind me those cheap forty nine cent packets of ramen. Uh, oh, um, sweet lord, I lived on those things I, when I, I was I want, twenty. Well, I want to live on them tonight. I want five of them <laughs> before I go to bed. Uh, also, Sean Bernard, who is my friend, my business partner, and the producer of the Brian Oak Show. You're also a realtor at the 50th and France uh, location for Dyna Realty. Are, are you showing houses? Or are, are, are people leaving? Are they doing things? Yeah, we're we're showing houses, but we're you know sometimes we're wearing gloves, sometimes we're wearing masks, sometimes we wear pirate outfits. What about no. hazmat suits? <laughs> you know, I've been tempted to do that, but I bring Purell with me, and it's just so creepy and weird to offer people Purell every two minutes throughout the entire showing. And I I have to look at him and go, "Don't touch anything. Can, can I'll I, touch everything, and then I'll Purell up." And can I give you? That's, yeah. that, that's funny. Don't touch anything. <laughs> In the house Don't you're trying anything. to buy. Exactly. But I mean, who would buy a house without actually physically going to see it? I've even offered to do virtual tours where I'm the only one in there, but I wouldn't expect somebody to buy a house without seeing it. So I would never buy a house that I haven't stole painkillers from the medicine cabinet. Again, yeah, or touched. If you, <laughs> or you, touched. If you don't touch your house. You don't know it might be made of Jello. You know that's <laughs> true. <laughs> that, that's just a British thing, I think. How do how do people how do people get a hold of you, Sean? Uh, call me at six one two eight five nine two five nine four. I promise not to touch you. Or you can text me at six one two. Eight five nine two. But the look Brian's giving me right now is fantastic. I'm ruining my own commercial. Six one two eight five nine two five nine four. Yeah, you said I promise not to touch you like you were sincere, like a Boy Scout leader, and I've heard that before. Only okay, with permission, so. Brian. Only with permission. Oh well. No, you, you sound like you're on parole. <laughs> again, again. <laughs> Andy, uh, it's been delightful talking to you, and we're not quite done yet because I have a couple other important things I want to ask you. McCluskey, we heard Future of the Left, which is not over yet, but it, these are difficult times and people are going through life changes. Christian fitness is sort of your solo thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Is there is there a change in philosophy or do you still feel, you know, as you get older, as you have kids, I found for me, you know, going from suburban teenager to angry young man to cool radio guy to now <laughs> aging whatever the hell I am, you know, with a, a grown daughter who lives at home. I mean, who we are changes. Right. And so when you moved into Christian fitness does your approach, other than the massive sonic attack, you know, your philosophy about the music you create, does it change? No, like like I was saying before, there's not really an explicit, like, philosophy. It's a, when you do a band, it's a combination of everybody's different personalities, editing stuff and, and moving stuff forward. And again, solo, you don't really, I don't really think about it beyond... If I like it and it's good, I'm comfortable with it, then then it works. It passes all those tests without being and that's more of an instinctive thing. You just it just it feels good, it it, it is good. Um but it's it's created by myself in the house and there's a lot of sound restrictions. Uh I I mean generally speaking I can get away with a little bit of 
shouting if in the house um to use the technical term if (laughs) if everybody's out but certainly when my daughter is sleeping making loud music is something of a problem and we do as as much as i was hilariously joking about it before we do have neighbors and i do have to consider them at least within the boundaries of the law so that's a bit of a problem um and christian fitness will never really be a live thing because the technology isn't there to clone myself and and if that technology did come up i'm sure that it wouldn't be used to clone members of of ninth division indie rock bands but uh but we've been doing mccluskey shows for the last year or so mccluskey with an asterisk because it doesn't include john who was the original bass player so that's been scratching the playing shows itch that's that's gone really well we did an uh we did an australian tour in january which just went absolutely fantastically we played to bigger crowds than than we ever played to in our original incarnation. Um, we looked into doing it in the States, and it's there's much more of a possibility to do that than there is to do Future of the Left because the band is the band is more popular. But even then, financially, it it doesn't it still doesn't make a lot of sense at this stage. So that's a shame. Well, but it, yeah, it, Christian it, Fitness. It's just that's the music I create by myself, McCluskey was the music I created with the two people I re- created that with. And Future the Left is the music created with the people who were in that band at the various junctures. There really isn't there really isn't a lot more thought goes into it than that, I'm, I'm disappointed to say. Well, I, I, I realize that, like, you don't sit down and there's not a manifesto. Uh, uh, what do you call it when you make a business a um, uh, mission statement, yeah. right? Like, so the, yes, I understand yeah. that. But I mean, it, it's it's got to pass a litmus test. Like, so I guess the question I was originally asking was: mm. as you've grown older, as your circumstances have changed, not talking about quarantine, talking became about a father, <laughs> you're, right, like, like having a child and a wife, and you know, moving somewhere much different than you lived before, you know, that obviously still informs you, and there are still standards that you set for yourself. You know, and and you haven't, even in Christian fitness, you haven't, I don't think you've let yourself off the hook, but just as importantly, which is what I was fawning about early on in the show, I don't think you've let anybody else off the hook either, and that's why I adore your music so much. People need to stay sharp. They need to keep their head on a swivel. They need to keep their eyes open, yeah? Yeah, well, you can still, you know, you can say sacred cow, but you can still eat a sacred cow. That's the way I've always looked at (laughs) sacred cows. I remember I used to live with a guy who was a gigantic Pixies fan in all senses of the word. He was genuinely monstrously large, but uh, you could always always get a good rise out of him by saying, I mean, Debaser, for example, is a nearly perfect film, right? But you could always get a, a rise out of him by saying... Yeah, it goes on a bit, though, doesn't it? And he just couldn't. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, yeah, I know what the song's called now. Debaser, I think. Yeah, Debaser, Debaser. Yeah. When's it even going to end? And obviously I like the song Debaser. I'm it's a, a person that is. But, you know, you can, if you challenge somebody even just a little bit, then sometimes it can all fall apart. But don't you don't you feel like it's crucial? Like, like I I have some very strong beliefs, but I also have friends that are routinely not afraid of popping my balloons and your balloons have to be popped on the regular. And you know, that that's the whole thing about, you know, when I think about even the band name, the future of the left, or when I think about the songs you write, challenging one's beliefs constantly is crucial to the future of critical thought, to the future of our mutual existence, to, to what it means to be alive and try to live together. If we stop challenging any of those things, if we ever take any of it for granted or, even worse, assume that we know the truth, we're fucked. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things about online discourse which really uh, puzzles me is how sure people are about things. Like, to give you examples, I don't know anything I, do, I have no first-hand experience about the war in Syria, right? So what I do, if I want to learn about the war in Syria, is I find people who I otherwise trust who know something about the war in Syria, 
then I try and garner some information about the war in Syria that way. There's an example. It, it, it really, I don't know, it gets me. It gets me how sure people are about things, about topics they've only recently just happened upon. Because I don't, I don't know. There's, there's very few things. There's very few things I'm sure about. You know, I know I have very sensitive skin. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I'm allergic to eggs as of the last two years. Wait a minute. Are, do you, do you have an oily T zone? Is that what you're telling me right now? Do you need moisturizer? Uh, I don't use moisturizer. I'm from the <laughs> north of England. <laughs> they just chap and chafe a lot. Yeah. Moisturizer. <laughs> moisturizer. <laughs> I'm from. Fuck, well, it was all is, going so well, Brian. Where any, any, if you step out of the, uh, you know, the just the the norm, the normal in huge inverted commas, uh, I've, I've forgotten the word now. The, the normal paradigm, then your, then your, your sexuality is instantly uh, called into question. I answered the door to somebody when I was at my mother's house. I, I won't say who. Wearing my, because I'm, I'm a runner. I run. And it, it's the north of England, so I know you guys where you are know this experience. This it was it's fucking freezing. Yes, cold, and cold. So I'm wearing regular. like you know jacket and shorts, and I'm wearing some tights under my shorts. And this person looked me up and down and went, "All right, when's the Elton John concert?" <laughs> and you're like, "Oh my god, oh, oh my god, like what's?" Well, well, it's on Tuesday, right? Right. But no, but, like straight away, you just can't. You, these are these are you know, sim- simpler places we could say, you know, because I don't believe that I don't believe the person saying that is genuinely homophobic, but I believe it's the only way they know how to deal with something which is which is different to them. Yeah, like yeah. like growing up, if you went. We were, we were speaking of we were speaking of bladders on, only only just before, or rather I was because it's, it's something I talk about a lot in my forties. But when I was growing up, if you went to the pub, if you went to the toilet before your fourth or fifth pint, there would be whispers about you. <laughs> what, yeah. Like you were up to something else, or <laughs> yeah, like, like your, like your were, bladder you couldn't take it, or your prostate was the size of a grapefruit. Yeah. And you know, hey, if you want to listen to, if you want to go and look at cocks. Go for it. That's what I say. So, obviously, with everybody's with everybody's permission, written or otherwise. Yeah, no. But, you know, again, I'm with oh, you. Well, I suppose. Yeah. So you're talking about I don't know simple simpler times. We might euphemistically say simpler Sim- times. Simpler times. Hey, before uh, I ask you about how people can reach you, how they can support you, how they can get to your music, and we hear the final song that you've chosen, which from is from a brilliant American band. <laughs> I do want to thank um, the good people at AudioQuip who have provided the Smart Start MN Studio with all of this incredible professional quality equipment. We literally could not be doing this without them. AudioQuip.com. I know that we can't go out anymore. I know there's a very, very few TED Talks happening anymore <laughs> or live performances. <laughs> But who will who will think of the TED Talkers? Oh, not only the TED Talkers, but the people, the hardworking people. You know, every time I worked in radio for twenty five years, and every single time I went up on stage to introduce a band, before I entered the band, I made sure the crowd gave a round of applause to the the techs and the stage crew because these are the people who showed up. Fucking ten hours before you did, and they're going to be ten here ten hours after you are tearing all this shit down. Without them, it doesn't happen. But nobody thinks about them. Same thing with audio equip. They provide equipment for people who, when TED Talks return, will be in demand. In the meantime, you should talk to them about what they can do for you. Uh, also, the people who run our website, took our pictures, did the art in the studio. There's so much to thank, Sean. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, wow, that almost sounded sincere. Uh, Andy, before we let you go, I want I want to ask, um, you know, in this crazy age, even before this crazy age, right? Like even before this weird lockdown, bizarro worldwide pandemic, bands stopped and bands of even a, a reasonable uh, ascension, right? Bands of even a reasonable level or level of success, they weren't making money off selling their music. They were making money off of, 
you know, merch and touring and that sort of thing. And I know that your most recent effort, your solo effort, Christian Fitness, out of principle, you're not on Spotify. If somebody was like, well, fuck, I love Andy Falkus. How do they find a way to support you and find your music and actually help you have another revenue stream? How does that happen? Well, well, Bandcamp is is a fantastic site. I mean, Bandcamp still make their still make their dollar. You know, there's no. I'm not so far to the left that I don't begrudge people making money for providing a, a decent a decent service right. for people. But they also, I mean, Bandcamp, but the, certainly they take fifteen percent. Or if you get to a, a certain level of sales, which I'm lucky enough to have got to, they only take ten percent. Oh, also, so also one, worth mentioning one, this this Friday. Bandcamp is canceling their take. So if people yeah, wait yeah, until Friday yeah. to come and get your music, then yeah. you get more. I'm just I'm trying to find Sean and I have this philosophy. We don't like so we've tried to do these live performances, but now of course we're locked down as part of the podcast uh, of local musicians supporting local musicians. But we insist on paying them if they come. We're not having anyone be like, "Hey, the promotion's enough for you." Fuck that. Artists deserve to be paid for the things they create that bring people joy. And so I just I'm trying to find the best way for people to find you or your music. Yeah, but Bandcamp is in terms of direct support, that's really the only one. I mean, iTunes isn't so much a, a service as far as a musician goes, as much as a cabal. So I'd I'd ignore that if I were you. Also, just on a on a basic level, um just supporting as, as, as cliche as it sounds, supporting local venues, not the venues who necessarily put on the mega stars or even the bands who play to 2,000 people a night, but those those venues who host 200, 300, 400 people a night. Uh, I mean, that that's where bands like ours, that's where we exist. I mean, I've, I've probably played every venue of that size in Europe and North America, <laughs> but, but they're, they're places which, which rely on, on their patrons in order to keep existing. So it's, it's important. There's lots of venues doing crowd, different crowdfunders and everything at the minute. And people don't have, you know, the notion of spare cash is, is not really something that I understand generally speaking, Same. but if anybody does have any spare cash and there's a, a local venue that they that they go to that they go to shows now would probably be the time to support them because at the end of this well i think crisis is is you know the right word there'll be a lot of those venues will without support won't exist anymore i mean on a personal level i mean realistically looking at this i think it's very unlikely to be doing any shows for another year Oof. That's hard. I, I, that's that's my that's my. I think if, you're I right. were, if I were a betting man, which I'm, which I'm not a betting man. I have, I have all of the other addictions. I can't afford <laughs> betting. But I would say that I would say that a year would be realistic. So speaking of what you're talking about, um, I almost forgot to talk to you about this until I looked at my notes. Um, you know, you formed a band in Wales. You live in London. Mm-hmm. But the people who did your art for many years, I'm not sure if they still do, are actually located in my hometown of Minneapolis, Aesthetic Apparatus, right? That's right. Michael Bukowski is the guy. Oh. The guy's name. He's a class act. He's a class act. He is. You know, and, and so I, I own a couple of your posters. I'm waiting to get them framed because apparently I can't go to framing shops anymore due to the fact that I might be a zombie or full of contagion. <laughs> um, I... Uh, uh, th- there are ways to support, as we said at the very top of the show, to support local businesses. Maybe it's curbside pickup. Maybe it's buying gift certificates. Maybe it's ordering online, whatever it is. Aesthetic Apparatus, if you go to aestheticapparatus.com, they do such incredible work. Again, I own several of your posters and a couple other things they've done just because they're a local outlet. And again, I'm not asking people to spend their money on shit product. I'm just asking people to make sure that our towns and our communities and our scenes are as interesting as they were, or at least whatever approximation we can get to as they were before all the stupidity. How did you hook up with aesthetic apparatus? I think originally because uh, Michael, I think it was Michael did a poster for uh, McCluskey show. 
at 7th Street entry. Is it the gorilla one and with then, the big red arrow? Is and it, then it, the gorilla one, yeah. yeah with and the big red arrow, I have that. Cal- I think, I can't remember, I think we met them uh, in Future of the Left for a drink in 2009 when we were in Minneapolis. And then Michael designed the cover for Travels with Myself and Another, which is the second Future of the Left record. Mm-hmm. And subsequently, he's designed the covers for all of the all six of the Christian fitness records. And he he did the cover for the last Future of the Left record, Peace and Truce of Future of the Left as well. And, uh, and another couple of T-shirts. I mean, you know, that's that's more of a body of work than, than some, some bands ever get through. But he's, his stuff is fantastic. I mean, he probably best known for his, his uh, show posters. So anybody in Minneapolis has probably seen one of his posters, even if they're not aware of who made it. But just just a lovely guy and just fantastic to work with. Do you realize that you're fawning over him like I'm fawning <laughs> over you, right? You realize Well, that's that, the thing. You? I'm batting. I'm batting off the fawn. I'm changing the energy. <laughs> diverting. The fawn. I'm, diverting. I'm, I'm, I'm giving as well as receiving on this occasion. Andy, um, I'm going to ask you one last question before we have to wrap this up. Um, the next time you come to town, and I know you will be back in the city again, and I know your life will be busy, and I'm sure you'll arrive late and have to leave early. Will you please come and visit the studio? And can we do this face to face at least once in my lifetime? And as, as long as as long as we have the time, like you say, it can be it can be tough schedule wise. And we've been trying to make it back over to the states in various forms. For the last time we were there was 2012. Yeah, and in fact, it was on the night of the election, um, Obama's second term. Wow, we always seem to be there when the elections are happening. It wasn't a very well attended show, supporting a band called they're called AJJ now. They were called Andrew Jackson Jihad then. <laughs> um, no, they're really really good band. Not my not my kind of thing. Is a, is a general is a general thing like folk punk or whatever isn't really my thing, but a fantastic band and just the, the loveliest people you've. Well, you haven't met them, but that you uh, that you could ever meet. I'm sorry. But, uh, did, did, if did, if did we you... can make it, I mean, my favorite thing in the world to do is to tour the states. So, if if I ever have a small lottery win, that's that's what I'd spend it on. Well, and again, there was no pressure, and I know it's been a while. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you come back, um, this was delightful and really nice to meet you. I hope your child is well. I hope your family is well, and. I, I look forward to hearing more of your music. And again, one last time for the people who were ignoring it over our laughing earlier, what's the best place to find your stuff? It's Bandcamp, and when, when they go to Bandcamp, what do they look up? Bandcamp, type in Christian Fitness or or Future of the Left. There's a little bit of Future of the Left stuff on there. Okay. In terms of McCluskey, that stuff can be consumed in a general sense, but we're still those records are still on Beggar's Banquet, who are a an organization that I, I don't really have a lot of uh, a lot of respect for. So, but I'm hoping to uh, respect maybe the wrong word. Love is probably the right <laughs> word. Um, so, uh, but I'm hoping to get the McCluskey records back in the next year or two. So, Fabulous. Uh, hopefully they'll be releasable. But please, please steal McCluskey songs off all of the <laughs> off all of the you know, off all available sites because um, I will make. I will make precisely no pounds from them anyway. Oof. And here in America, nobody knows what the fuck a pence is anyway. So, um, <laughs> Andy, Andy, thank you. Thank I'm, I'm in all sincerity from the bottom of my heart. This was thrilling and lovely for me. And whoop, look at that. God damn it. He's tearing up. Shut up, Sean. <laughs> you don't know me. Um, this was great. And thank you very much. Now, we are going to wrap up the 51st episode of the Brian Oak Show by going into a great Boston band, Mission of Burma. And this was one of your requests. Will you tell me why? Uh, well, because it's one of the, the greatest songs ever written. And also because we played with Mission of Burma, or, you know, latterly, uh, a couple of times. And not only are they a fantastic band, but. They're just some of the loveliest people. And uh, you, you meet a lot of people in rock and roll where the actual music is just a just a way into the lifestyle, I suppose. But you meet some bands who are lifers and they're, for, for one, of not using the cheesiest terms available, but they're, they're real. And this band, this band are real, but exciting. Re- real, describing something as real can make it sound quite worthy and, and boring. 
but these guys aren't boring. Just an just an incredible song. It's just it's just adrenaline and it's not thick. So I I applaud it. <laughs> 